From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast, season 12. Hello, everybody. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. I help startups stand apart from their competition and stand out to their audience with storytelling, messaging, and pitches that perform. In this podcast, you'll hear my conversations with startup leaders from around the globe as they share a slice of their company's story, stories on growth, scale, successes, and failures, all to help you and your company grow up and ultimately stand out. Before we begin today's episode, I'd like to invite you to join the email newsletter that doesn't suck. That's right. If you head to startuphypeman.com and enter your email address, first you'll get my free SaaS masterclass, but you'll also get updates whenever you release new episodes, plus my storytelling tips and advice periodically throughout the month, and helpful resources from Startup Hype Man partners. It's the newsletter that doesn't suck, available at startuphypeman.com. All right, speaking of things that don't suck, let's begin today's episode of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone from Gaithersburg, Maryland, and currently residing in Washington, D.C., he is the founder and CEO of Uscreen. Please welcome PJ Ty. All right. Thank you, Rajiv. Happy to join. I appreciate the awesome intro. PJ Ty, welcome to Startup Hype Man, the podcast. PJ is the founder and CEO of Uscreen, as I mentioned. What is Uscreen? They are the number one VOD platform for content creators. That's right. If you're an individual content creator or even a business creating content on the regular, Uscreen lets you create a Netflix-style library of your video content where people can subscribe to your channel, pay you a monthly subscription fee, and you can ultimately monetize your content and build your own personal Netflix-style empire. Now, Uscreen has over a thousand paying customers. They have never taken on any venture capital or outside funding, completely bootstrapped. Their customers include companies like Wanderlust, the brand Yoga with Adrian, the BBC, Time Warner Media, and more. And our topic today with PJ is embracing sales as the founder. PJ, with that introduction and that topic, tell me why is embracing sales as the founder something that's on your mind and important to you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate the awesome intro. So embracing sales as the founder, I've really learned to um, understand a lot better recently as well because of just uh, more customers and all that stuff. But it makes a big difference in closing the deal because you know the product so well and you get to kind of listen directly to the horse's mouth per se, right? You're listening to your customers, you're understanding exactly what they want, and better yet, you're closing the deal because no one knows the product better than the founder, especially when you're small, right? So it's a lot of people will find it hard to believe, but I close a lot of the sales, right? And we're a 30-person company. We have over 1,000 paying customers, right? So in this case, why is the CEO, the founder, actually closing some of the deals or a lot of the deals? Um, and we're starting to scale more out of that so we can actually scale it because I can't always handle all the leads and I need to do other things. But the point of this is initially, when launching and finding your company in the initial first few years, doing the demos, closing the deals is really important 
because you know the product, you know the industry, you know the competitors, and you know the product really well. So it's got to come from you. And the chance of close is actually really high because you know what you're talking about and people build confidence. The CEO, the founder cares. It's actually gone a long way. Competitors sometimes make fun of us by doing that, the ones that talk trash, and it happens often. But guess what? We're really good at what we do. And I'm actually a very humble guy, but we have an awesome platform. We beat the competition, some of the big names, all right? But one of the reasons is I care, I'm engaged, but I also speak to the customers and I know what they want. I translate that to the product team. So although a lot of companies might be, they get launched, they you know get funding or they don't, in our case, we didn't. It was never part of my culture personally or business culture to gain funding from the start. Right away, you're, first goal or task might be or your first view is to hire a salesperson but i would invite you not to think that way and actually do the initial sales yourself you can have someone help you with outreach if you want to do cold outreach which we've never done a lot of you want to send those emails help someone do the outreach but close the sales well i think some of the points you touched on there are going to be very poignant and relevant to our listener base especially because i know there's a lot of founders who don't consider themselves salespeople. They consider themselves more technical-minded and they're scared to go out and sell or they don't think it's for them or they think it's icky. So we're going to dive all into that and I'm sure it'll be a fantastic exploration. Before we do, you mentioned that your cultural upbringing was not one where you were necessarily thinking about raising outside capital. Can you tell me about what your cultural upbringing was like and just how you feel that's impacted your mindset, your outlook as an entrepreneur? Right. Good question. Yeah. I mean, personally for me, the way I was raised, right? I immigrated from Iran when I was seven. So I'm Persian. I grew up in Gaithersburg, Maryland, not too far from DC. Our office is now in DC, right off DuPont Circle. Um, but the way I grew up was my dad and mom, both, they're still married. They raised us, me and my brother, in a way where uh, they didn't just give us money for college and just give us money to buy a car and stuff like that. So we had to work for our money. I started working really young, mowing lawns actually and, and shoveling snow in the neighborhood. Uh, something I actually like doing. I always like making money and working. I want to stay busy. So in that aspect, I was raised in a way where I had to work. I was never given something. I actually didn't like loaning money from my parents. I actually never liked loaning money. And that was because the way I was growing up, I wanted to work for it. Honestly, like my dad never just gave me money. Of course, we grew up well. We grew up middle class. And like we had food on the table, that's not my point, but we had to work for everything. Uh, in that aspect, I think loaning money for me, just starting out and launching a business and loaning money was just not something I understood. It's funny, my brother actually runs a business as well. He's the same way. So we never thought about, oh, we got to loan money right away. But, um, and this is my second company. My first company was WebNet hosting a web hosting firm like GoDaddy Competitor, right? Initially, GoDaddy wasn't in the game and then they came on. I was 24 when I launched that business and getting funding was not even part of the culture. Then towards, you know, I'm 38 now. So that was, you know, about 15, 16 years ago. Then towards launching Uscreen in 2015, that was totally the name of the game is you got to get funding. That never crossed my mind. I didn't want to get funding. I want to own the company and make money and make the profits, you know, right away. You're going to get a seed round. You're going to get series A, all that stuff. Um, you already given away what 30, 40%. It's not easy making money in a SaaS. You know what I mean? So you start giving away pieces of that pie from the start when you think you know people are going to buy into your product and pay you. 
um, you're going to pivot a lot. Pivot's an interesting word. You don't have to fully pivot from, okay, I'm going to do this to I'm going to do that. No, just little changes in the company or messaging is the pivot. That happens a ridiculous amount from the start. So trying to, so gaining funding from the beginning, you think will accelerate you, but will actually not. It actually will get you to move too quickly and you'll make a lot of mistakes. So long story short, to answer your question, it just wasn't part of my culture to loan money and we still have it to this day and we're fully in charge of our destiny. We make the decisions if we get a partnership from a big company that says, hey, we are doing this and we'd love to kind of partner with you to do this part of the service. I could say no because you're actually going to tarnish our brand. You want to do white label investors in that case. Be like, that's a big deal. That could be a hundred K MRR. You need to go for that. No, we make the decision that it's going to tarnish our brand, take away from building for everybody rather than for building for one customer. So we know what's best for our customers. Investors don't. I think you're definitely right that there has been a explosion of funding culture over the last decade and I, and to the extent that it is a culture right now, there is a funding culture now that exists out there. And that's where you've seen the glamorization of large seed or large series A raises. And you don't really see glamorization of large amounts of revenue, perhaps because it's not necessarily reported as much, but I do think there should be as much, if not more emphasis on revenue than there is on funding or, or at least in the media. And this is kind of like the ultimate founder conundrum is, do I raise or do I not? And I think more entrepreneurs should take a step back to consider, is it the right path for them? And what are they truly trying to accomplish? Now, you very much knew what you, what you were trying to accomplish and, and the type of control you wanted to have. Further on in your upbringing, you had the job that every high school boy was truly jealous of. And that was working at Best Buy because that meant you got the discounts on the new CDs that came out and the video games right. and first access to the Nintendos and the Playstations and all that stuff. Uh, so I know I was one of those people who was always jealous of those who worked at Best Buy and every summer I would walk in, submit a paper application. Yes, there were still paper applications then and would never get that call back. But tell me about working at Best Buy for several years what was that experience like? Because you're, you were a salesperson then, right? You're on the floor. It's a little bit different, but you are being a sales consultant, quote unquote, and moving product at the end of the day. So what was that experience at Best Buy like? And what do you think that taught you? Yeah, absolutely. Best Buy was an interesting job, um, primarily because I already had computer experience just building PCs with my dad. He still has a very small computer reseller shop, but I learned a lot there. So I was doing that before I even had my license. I was literally 12, 13, 14 doing that. Then I did lifeguarding for a while. Um, and then I worked at Best Buy. I actually wanted to go work in the mall and be really cool with a mall very close to our house, Lake Forest Mall, um, like my friends did and meet girls and hang out and do cool stuff, right? But my dad was like, no, that's a waste of your time. You need to go to Best Buy. And I was like, oh man, that's not fun. So I wanted to work in PC tech at the time, which is now Geek Squad. That's where I wanted to work. But they put me on the floor. They were like, hey, this is technical stuff. You don't know what you're doing. Or they didn't even test me, right? It's just it's, it, they're fast moving or very on the surface at, at least. And I was young. I was only 16. I had just gotten my license. So they were like, you know computers. You go do computer sales. And I told my dad and he was like, ah, all right, try it. So I did it and I learned a lot. It was interesting because right away I could sell. I was just good communication. This does this. Packard Bell does this. Dell did. Dell does this. 
I knew all the different things. I could get you a discount on the printer if you buy this. And I write up the slips at the time. It was just these discount slips. And I did that for, I think, nine months. And then they moved me to um, PC Tech, so which is now Geek Squad. So the sales training at Best Buy was awesome. It was actually one of my favorite times. I sold, um, I don't know if I would say I sold a lot, but I, I sold a good amount um, of computers. But primarily, I sold myself um, with the messaging I was offering to the customers buying those computers. So I learned a lot. It was definitely a game changer for me. And my background in sales there on the floor uh, is probably why I actually did the sales initially with the customers. They came in naturally. You actually said something interesting um, after you asked me that question initially as the founders doing the sales. You said some of the audience listeners might be technical people and they might not be fond of selling. Look, I have a response for that. If you are honestly not good at selling and you're not comfortable, and you're not a good salesperson and you're a developer or someone sitting there and doing the coding and you're not good at it, then you need to hire for it, right? My message is not to say every founder sitting here has to sell. No, you obviously have to hire for things you can't do, right? If you absolutely can't sell, then it's not what you're good at. You shouldn't be selling, but you need to hire someone that cares and understands the industry as well as the product. That's critical, right? Knows the, the internet, I'm sorry, knows the industry, knows the competitors, why you're better, and the product, that really makes a difference. So if you really are not good at selling, you shouldn't be selling. But if you are, you hands down need to be in it from the start. Well, and I think that's an interesting segue into this primary topic for today, which is embracing sales as the founder. I get what you're saying, but I think that mindset oftentimes, the mindset meaning if you're not good at it, hire it out. I think oftentimes entrepreneurs use that as a crutch because they may not have, they, it may sure they haven't explored themselves as a salesperson yet. They could be really good at it, but they just say, oh no, I'm the technical person, so I don't need to bother myself with that. So I guess while in some cases, yes, if you're totally shy, if the idea of talking to someone else just scares the hell out of you, then you probably need a co-founder or someone else high up in your early company that's going to take on that customer-facing role. But, but I guess at the same time, how do you account for that line of just being scared versus actually it's not your thing and you shouldn't do it? Yeah, good point. Not being I mean, I think, honestly, I, I think you're right. You have to take a leap of faith at some point, right? It's really hard to answer that question because it depends on the individual themselves if they're really good at something or are they just scared of trying it. I would invite someone to try something because look, I actually learned this from a friend of mine, which is a really famous comedian, Max Comedian, if you Google him. But um, I went to LA and I saw him a month ago. And right here back behind me, you see this big camera gear. I don't know if you can see it, my office, a big yep. desk. But I was talking to him about building my personal brand and just producing content and just like educating people and sharing my experience and talking to him about making money with videos and distribution and all that stuff because how to make sales, how to launch a membership. And he told me, and I was like, should I do it? Should I not do it? And he was like, just do it. Just get a camera out and do it. Because by the time you think of where should I host my videos? Should I put it on YouTube? Should I put it on Instagram? Should I put it on LinkedIn <laughs> video? It's too late. You're just, there's too many variables. Should I buy an, get an editor? Should I buy this software? Should I buy this camera? Should I build this stand that you see behind me? It's too late. It's taken too long. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So in this case, just try it. 
have a few calls. You'd be surprised. Be optimistic about it um, and see how it goes. If you really are shy, you're an introvert, you're not good at having those conversations, then in this case, hiring a proper person to do it is needed. You know what I mean? Um, but I would say take the leap of faith to do that because if you are launching a product, you ultimately need to be able to sell it. Yeah. It's really well, kind of true. And even if you are going to hire it out, you can't just say, hey, do this thing. I know nothing. Like You need to at least have had some conversations with the market to say, here's what we know thus far. Here's what I've heard them respond to. The, the deals may not have closed because maybe you're quote unquote not good at it, but you still need to be able to impart some knowledge of the market onto that person. Otherwise, they're going to fail in that role. Now, yeah, absolutely. You know, to that point of the just do it, just yesterday, actually, I was listening to my friend Liston Witherill's podcast, which is called Modern Sales. And he was actually doing an episode on content marketing. But I think the, the concept, the point I'm about to make applies here as well, because what he was referencing was something in the episode, a part of the episode, he was referencing something he had heard, which was a quote from someone that said, for those who are scared about creating content and it not being good, or that it, you know, taking forever to come up with what they want to do. The quote he had cited was someone saying, hide your bad content with your good content. Meaning if you, if you create enough, you'll get better over time and you can push down the bad content with the stuff that's good. And I think in the same respect on the sales front, right. you can hide the, the deals that went south, the bad conversations. If you keep doing it over time, you will get better at it and you'll hide the bad ones with the good outcomes. That's a good point. Now, when you think about your mindset as the CEO of the company and embracing sales. You talked before about how you're able to outsource at least top funnel activities like lead generation. Can you walk us through the use screen? Can you map, us, map out for us the use screen sales process from lead generation and who or what is responsible for that all the way down to the close of the sale and who and what steps in at that point? Yeah, absolutely. So primarily lead generation is from content, ads, um, some direct outreach, which we st started recently as we learn who our customers are better and better. Um, but obviously a lot of lead gen happens online with content, SEO, landing pages, ads, YouTube, YouTube videos. They come in to a specific landing page where they're submitting their email and contact information. It could just be our contact page. It could be even a Facebook chat. Um, it could be, and then the contact page or email sales at uscreen.tv. These all go to our CRM. Simple. They all come to one pump, right? One place where we then check um, the emails coming in and everything that's coming in. We get a lot of spam. So initially, the first person that's in there is monitoring it all the time. They're filtering out all the spam. They're seeing if someone's a good lead. They then send some initial responses, understanding what they're looking for, right? So just think of it as support. We have three tiers, right? Tier one, tier two, tier three. When I was MCSC, I was tier two. When I was PC Tech at Best Buy, I was tier one. So initial filtration, basic, who are they? Are they serious is tier one. Tier two, what are they about? What are they looking for? Tier three goes to the more custom accounts. I come in only on tier three, higher products, your Time Warner Medias, your bigger customers. Uh, it could be anyone with a solid following, has an audience, is ready to go, wants to make money. I know that master formula to get those guys to make money. Mm. I come in at tier three. I'm now starting to teach people how to do tier three. 
right? Others, because it's hard for me. I spend multiple times a day on calls. I want to get people to be on tier three. So um, I want to get others so we can scale it, right? Because we're getting more and more and more leads. So in this case, how many calls can PJ be on? It's absolutely what we're talking about. Like where I'm saying, hey, be the founder, close the deals. But how are you going to do your other things? Because I'm ultimately running a company of 30 people with over a thousand customers. How are you going to be able to keep growing and doing all the operations, management, communication, um, different types of marketing, product? I'm also involved in product. So in this case, how can you handle all your other responsibilities if that continues to increase and you want to do sales? Well, my advice is I've done it so far. It's been four and a half years, right? Now I'm getting to the point where I can't almost handle half of it even, right? So I'm hiring more salespeople to help with that. But guess what? I know the core message, which goes down to exactly what you said. If you're building a product, you got to at least be able to communicate it. So it's very easy for me to teach people how to do that. See, there's a lot of people that are extremely smart. They don't do something, but they could tell people how to do it. I'm not one of those. I have to do something, <laughs> figuring it, figure it out. And then I'll be like, Hey, Rajiv, listen, like we got to do this. Then you yeah, get your hands dirty it. first. Yeah. I got to get my hands dirty. It's just how I am. I work a little bit differently. I'm not as smart as the guys that from a high level are like X, Y, and Z. You know, right. I wish I was. So, Well, um, and I find I'm, I'm similar to that. So this year, what I finally was able to transition towards with the startup hype man business is no longer handling top funnel lead generation. I was able to bring on an outside vendor and I have that automated now, which is great because... Basically, I'm able to step in. I, I'm still at the top of the sales process because I'm stepping in when they've replied. But the outreach part of that is automated. And I will say this, because I did enough of my own outreach initially, I learned the messages that would hit and would not. So even though I have that automated, it's actually a script that I created and we're constantly optimizing it as we look at what's getting open rates, what's not, what's getting responses, et cetera. But I think I was able to shortcut that learning curve or that automation curve, if you will, because I had spent enough time learning the process myself up front to be able to write a script that's good enough and then can be tweaked instead of just guessing from scratch or outsourcing it entirely to the external company to say, figure this out when they don't necessarily know my market. And then now I'm able to step in a little bit later and not have to spend my time figuring out how do I get leads. Now it's how do I convert leads? And in that same respect, I think what you're saying is get your hands dirty first with whatever part of that sales process it is, but get your hands dirty first and then think about how you can uh, delegate from there. That's a very good point, Rajiv. I'll add one more comment Please. to that, okay? And it's such a good point you made. Um, what you just said is absolutely true. Get your hands dirty first, do a little bit, then scale a lot with someone else or additional help. Guess what? Remember how we were talking about funding, getting funding? Right. Funding removes that. Funding removes that aspect because you're, someone's going to give you a million bucks and say your burn rate within two years is going to be 50K a month or 100K a month, whatever that number is. It could be 20, it could be 100K a month. You're then right away going to say, okay, I need to scale. I need two salespeople. I need two operations. I need a CTO. I need a developer. I need marketer X, Y, and Z. 
you don't know anything about these aspects. You just hired six people, let alone are six of them all good. Do they understand the product? You're going to hire them super fast. You've never done any of those components and you're telling them to run. Walk before you run. That's mm. basically what you're saying. Yeah. Walk before you start running. You don't do that when you get funding. You start running right away because you have a burn rate. You need to spend that money. So the way I see funding is funding is steroids. Once <laughs> someone builds a core, yeah, right? Once someone builds a core and they know what they're doing, they know how to beef up their body, then they start taking steroids. It takes you to the next level. I've never taken steroids, but that's technically what it sure. is. I, mean, <laughs> I understand nutrition. You know? Know what I mean? Yeah. So in this case, if you're ready to scale and you can turn up the volume, if we rename steroids to volume, you're mm -hmm. ready to scale that volume, then funding could work in that case for sure. And I'm not against it at all. Yeah. Well, hopefully then at that point, it has a positive connotation and it's protein shakes and not anabolic steroids. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe not the best example, but you understand what I mean. Yeah, of course. Of course. So no, but, but I think in the negative case, it's steroids. If you don't build the body first, if you do build the body first, then it's your natural supplements. Absolutely right. One thing you mentioned when you talked about the use screen sales process was how you choose to step in later on, right? More so towards the closing side. Now in the early days when it's just you, of course, you're going to carry the entire sales process through as the CEO, as the founder, et cetera. But now that you're at a point where you've got 30-something employees, you've got a thousand paying customers with thousands more who are just users of the platform, do you feel, I mean, in my assessment, it sounds like there's got to be some cachet to, on the customer side from their perspective to, oh, wow, the CEO is choosing to take time out of their day to come talk to me. Am I correct in that assertion? Is there some cachet or zip or whatever you want to call it if you come in later on in the sales process as the CEO, as opposed to, let's say, I don't know, the, the, the director of marketing or, or, or whatever that anyone, other title might be. Right? Yeah. It could be anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk through, is there an impact there because you're the CEO stepping in? Awesome question. Okay. First of all, I think the audience makes a difference, a little bit of a difference, not all the way, but although I'm bringing that up first, please don't think it's the most weight. So for example, if you're selling to, corporations or bigger companies, obviously the CEO showing up could be a little bit of a concern because they look at the organizational structure, but smaller brands, one to 10, 25 people don't care that much. Now to answer your question, 10% care. That's the truth. 10 to 15% care. So one out of 10, maybe two out of 10 will say, Hey, PJ, listen, this is your company, right? Why, why are you answering the emails and getting on the phone with me? You know what? There's a way to respond to that. And simply as I care, I, my role in the company is to be in touch with customers and be in touch with product. And it's 100% true. 50-50, that's most of my time. It's not 50-50, but the two biggest fractions of my time is product with dev team as well as customers and hearing it from the horse's mouth, what they want this product to do, what are their troubles? It's the most important thing to build really good software, right? That's the answer. And they love that because it's the truth. The other few percent that will speak to Vimeo or someone else because they badmouth us and say, hey, those guys, the CEO answers the phone. 
first of all, 95% of people read through that. Our customers do. They pick us over them and multiple other larger companies. Even though they say that, they read through it because we have a better product Mm. and we know it. And I know how to speak to them and others in the company as well, right? So the few small percent that care that you lose them, but you gain so much more by knowing what you're talking about and learning about the industry. So answer to that is forget the 5%, gain the other 95% that value sure. that. Well, and even, you know, you said two out of those 10 people will, will say, hey, you're the CEO. This is cool. Why are you doing this? Those just happen to people happen to be the ones who are vocalizing it. There's probably others in that out of that every sample size of 10 who are thinking it like, oh, wow, the CEO is talking to me. They may, they may just choose to not vocalize it because maybe they think they're like tipping their hand and then they lose leverage in the, in the sales process, you know, but I, it's probably impacting even more than you're giving credit for. Yeah. But that okay. point of Vimeo, um, where you said sometimes they'll badmouth you. I actually think that's, that's a sidebar here, but an interesting point because just uh, yesterday or, or earlier this week, rather, I was reviewing a customer's demo call. And one of the things I thought they did really well in the call was they, without even, the, without even their prospect bringing it up, what this company did was talk about who the competitors are in the marketplace and why they like them and what they think their competitors are really good at. And to me, that's actually something that embraces transparency. Instead of acting like other players in the market don't exist, or instead of sending negative energy their way, tell the customer what what the other customer or what the other companies are good at, because it's actually going to cut down some research time on their end. And they're going to appreciate that you're wise enough to know you don't you can't do everything. You can't do it all. And you've acknowledged someone else exists. They'll appreciate that honesty. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Um, they do appreciate that honesty. And it's most of the time, like customers do not appreciate someone badmouthing someone else, you know? And when you do your research, you figure that out. Right. So when that happens to us, like we've actually persevered and, and kind of like went above it naturally and let the platform and company speak for itself. So it hasn't even been an issue. Let them say whatever they want to say. We know what we have and the customers that we have and we gain from those companies that badmouth us. And what they say is actually not true because they don't do their research. Right, right, so, yeah. And then yeah, it just reflects poorly on them at the same time. Exactly. Now, as we begin to wrap up, my last couple questions here, we'll have to go a little bit quickly through them, but can you talk through what changes in this sales process when you step in when it is, and you touched on it a little bit already but maybe a little bit expand a little bit more what changes when it's a bigger customer versus a smaller customer and and do you actually choose on your end to step in versus not step in not a lot changes to be honest i don't look at it that way i just look at their customer readiness per se and also how serious they are which again goes back to readiness okay so do they have an audience do they have an email list do they know what they're doing? Do they even have videos? We oftentimes get a lot of people who have no videos and are like, we're going to get millions of users. Okay, but that <laughs> often with our customers. So, right. But there's a lot of people with huge YouTube followings, Instagram, email lists. They've been around. They've created content. They could be a blogger. Now they're creating videos or want to create videos. 
we give those people love no matter whether it's me or anyone else because their chance of success and their readiness is higher. That's part of sales. What's the customer readiness? Who are they? Is it the right fit? Right? In that case, I know they're serious. Doesn't matter if they're big or small. I'm happy to speak to them and help them out. We're talking here with PJ Tai, the founder and CEO of Uscreen on today's episode of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Now, PJ, earlier on, you mentioned that as you're getting more customers now, as your own time is being limited, you are starting to figure out that training process of how do you not necessarily replicate yourself, but replicate the behaviors it takes to close customers later, later in the sales cycle. Aside from that, when you look at the next, let's say three years, three to five years of Uscreen, you've talked about how you haven't taken on funding and you don't want to. Where do you see this company growing and what would you like it to become? Absolutely. Yeah, so I have no interest in selling or, or at least gaining funding right now, at least, or, or anytime soon. Um, and I hope that's not the case, you know. Yeah, I, I think there's really always a never to, say never though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's why I say that, just to be humble about it and be honest. Um, you just never know in the marketplace, right? I want to definitely move forward as being the best monetization distribution platform. That's our goal. We want to be better than anybody else. It's our goal. We work extremely hard at it. I'm super engaged. So is the people we hire. We hire really good people. It's I work a lot, but I hustle. And so do other members of our team. So we have that advantage of hard work and really pushing through. So I want the company to continue to grow for the next five years. I want to be a solid platform. What's awesome is we, I expected this from the beginning. We help people make money, but now we see people have their life business on our platform. They've created, they've built houses, studios, many different things based on what we provide them. We're their business. So it's awesome. We want to help people make money and we're doing it extremely well. Sure. You know, one of the things that, as you say that, that I think is really interesting and you potentially have a great opportunity in front of you is because of the platform you've developed, like you mentioned, people are building studios and houses and things like that is you may have already, or you may soon have a company on your hands that actually creates industry in the sense that Absolutely. Right. Apple more or less made app development a thing. Even if you're not buying an Apple hardware product, people are developing apps. Airbnb has launched other ancillary industries that they may not have any control over or not get any money off of, but they're actually like sparking economic growth in other ways, right? Like cleaning services for Airbnbs is now a thing. Uh, management of your Airbnb platform is a thing external of Airbnb hiring someone to, to run your property for you. And I think that's what you have an opportunity for here with Uscreen is unlocking economic growth that may not even touch Uscreen, but ultimately kind of the, the energy and the kudos. And in long-term, that revenue comes back to you in different ways. Do you see that as well? Absolutely. I definitely think so. It's creating an industry and another way to make money. It's definitely... At the beginning, it was very new. We were definitely early adopters, but now it's becoming more popular for sure. Before we wrap up, can you let our listeners know where they can find Uscreen and where they can get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. PJ at Uscreen.tv. That's the letter P, letter J at Uscreen.tv. And our website is the letter Uscreen.tv. So Uscreen.tv. Check us out on any of the social channels or website. 
Let's go through our final takeaways now. So our topic today was embracing sales as the founder. For me, I think the, the big lesson here is it's important to embrace sales as the founder so that when you are ready to hire out, you have a, at, at, at minimum a starter kit. You can give that person or that company. They're not going in blind and you are able to short circuit a whole lot of learning that you'd be paying for otherwise. PJ, your top one or two takeaways from today's conversations or pieces of advice when it comes to embracing sales as the founder? Yeah, absolutely. I think try it. Get out there, right? If you're definitely not good at it, then you have other options, but give it a try. Try and be the one that speaks to customers and be in touch with what they need. My final question as we close out, fill in the blank. Entrepreneurship is? Awesome. (laughs) Say a little bit more on that. Entrepreneurship is awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. It definitely is. You control your destiny. You're building a product. You're building the software from scratch. It's never been done before, right? Of course, there's other people that have variations, but the software that you're building is brand new by you. People use it. They make money from it or they use it as a tool, widget, whatever it may be. It might be analytics. It could be a plugin. It could be you've created it. So it's awesome. It, It definitely is. It comes with a lot of challenges, but it's awesome. So go for it. Well, I'm excited to see your future growth as I personally begin to create more video content. It's very possible I end up becoming a Uscreen customer myself. He is PJ Tai. He is the co- he is the founder and CEO of Uscreen. And thank you PJ for joining today's episode of Startup Hype Man the podcast. Yes, thank you very much Rajiv. I really enjoyed it. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can share this episode with a friend or you can leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast page. When you do that, it boosts us in the search results. And ultimately, that means more entrepreneurs will listen, which means we share the message, we spread the mission and support more entrepreneurs at the end of the day. You don't have to stop with the podcast if you want more. And if you are interested in telling your company's story better across your demo calls to investors and to any audience you seek, well then why not have a conversation with me? Head to startuphypeman.com, fill out a form there, and let's talk. If you've got recommendations for future guests for the show or you want to be a guest on the show yourself, email media at startuphypeman.com. That'll tie a bow on this one. Thank you again to this week's guest for joining. I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to Startup Hype Man, the podcast. We will see you next time. Hype Man out. Word up. Raise up. Got you howling at the moon. Yeah. This is dance with the devil, bro. Instead of sundown too yeah. Ooh, This a dance with the devil bro. Tell me what you gonna do yeah. This a dance with the devil bro. And if you can't get it loose Then they fall into the truth It got you howling at the moon yeah. This a dance with the devil bro. Instead of sundown yeah. This a dance with the devil bro. Tell me what you gonna do this a dance with the devil, bro. And if you can't get a loose, then it's, it's a dance with the devil.